Hello beautiful souls, welcome to Blooming Mamahood, a podcast about empowering and celebrating mamas. This is your host, Lori. I'm a fertility, prenatal, postnatal, and kids yoga teacher, birth doula, childbirth educator, and mama. Each episode is created to help empower and inform you on your journey through mamahood. I am so grateful you are spending this present moment with me today. Let's dive in. Hello, hello, beautiful mamas, and welcome back to Blooming Mamahood. In today's episode, I have an amazing mama named Asha coming on to share her truth as part of our weekly Mamahood Journey series. Asha Thomas is a mama of two. She is a family doula and yoga teacher in Edmonton, Canada, and she just gave birth to her baby girl, Hazel, during the COVID-19 pandemic. In our interview, we will talk about her two pregnancies and birth stories. She'll share how she handled her grief after having a cesarean birth and dealing with birth trauma with her first, and share the story of her second pregnancy and attempted to be back with her daughter this year. We also talk about the differences between her care with an OB the first time around and the care she received with her midwife the second time around, and how her second cesarean birth was completely different experience and so much more empowering. Since we both live in Edmonton, we do address some specific details and resources in our area and also as part of a trauma-informed postpartum doula, she expands on birth trauma, the importance of birth plans, and postpartum care, things like that. I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, It was incredibly interesting to talk with somebody that has similar passions as me so i'm really glad she got to come on the podcast um we also do get interrupted a couple times by her sweet boy fox so if you hear some cuts in the interview that's what it is but overall it was an incredible interview and i am very grateful that she made the time for it uh while being only about 12 weeks postpartum right now so without further ado i will just let the interview play out and i really hope you enjoy it um she has a very incredible story and so many amazing things to say um yeah i just really really enjoyed our conversation hi how are you doing i'm good how are you i'm good Thanks for making the time for the interview. I know, like, you're pretty early postpartum and quite busy with two babies, so... No, <laughs> I I'm really appreciate so it. honored that you asked me. Yeah, so how how have you been? How is it going? Good. It's um, different than I anticipated in many different ways, but it's good. It's busy. Um, yeah, it's, we're starting to kind of get our groove now. She's going to be 12 weeks on Tuesday. So I think with like most of the way that I, um, with my clients, when I'm teaching, I usually tell them that six weeks postpartum is not a real thing. Uh, that's just like kind of the date of approximately how long it takes your organs and the placentas, um, like where it detached from the body to heal. But when it comes to actually like being ready, it's usually about 10 to 12 weeks. So I'm starting to kind of see and remember why I tell people that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I can totally relate. That six weeks, I was just like, um, you know, that was just yesterday. I'm not ready for this. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so often parents will be told that it's only six weeks and it's just, it takes forever. So yeah, we're getting our groove. Yeah, I mean, I'm six months now and I'm still figuring it out. So. <laughs> oh, I know. 
how many kids do you have? Uh, one kid. Yeah. Okay, you have the one. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's so different from going from one to two. There's so many things I miss now that I have two when it was just one and then it's just like it's one of those weird things where you never know until you look back and no matter how many people tell you it's not you just can't do it until you've been through it mm-hmm. yeah um so would you like to tell us a little bit more about who you are your family and kind of your story to get yeah. the interview going for sure so um i'm asha thomas um my origin story is pretty much that I, um, yeah, I worked with kids before I had my own children, and so I totally thought I had this figured out before they came. Um, I married my husband um, in 2015, so we're coming in on five years married, and we had our first child in 2017, who was now three. So now he's kind of in the age group of what I used to work with before. Uh, well, before and after him. And then I just had a daughter in June. So those are kind of my family. So yeah, I worked with kids for ever and almost two decades. We coming up on 20 years here soon. And then I've also become a collector of other ways to support in postpartum, you know, having my own child, children. I didn't realize how early learning, like working with young children, really is impacted by their parents and their parents' needs. And so I've been learning a lot going through my journey of what that's like. And so that's, yeah, so now I've kind of gotten into it a little bit earlier in postpartum. So I work with um, parents, uh, newborns, yoga, just all sorts of things. So yeah, that's what I do. Sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's been a collection. Yeah, I just finished my um, postpartum doula training last week, actually. So. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when it comes to actual, like, who I, or, like what kind of businesses and, and trainings I've done, uh, I started with early learning, and then I took kids yoga, because I hired a yoga teacher. And I was like, I could do that. I love yoga. So I did that. And so I have all my kids training. And I was like, I want my 200 hours. So I went and got that. And while I was doing my 200 hours, I got pregnant with my son. And I was like, I can teach prenatal postpartum yoga. I love doing this. And then that's where I like fell in deep where I was, I realized how much um, I loved being with early, early born newborns and and the support that their parents needed to create attachment parenting is pretty much my my philosophy and so then I went and got my postpartum doula a year ago this this month so I went with Kappa with Sonia and it was a year ago now and yeah that's, and then I got pregnant and COVID happened so I really didn't get to do it as I didn't get to be a doula as much as I thought I would but that's okay and so I've I've been teaching a lot of prenatal postpartum yoga not as much the doula as I look forward to doing in the future. Yeah, same. I mean, COVID really <laughs> put a wrench in the plans, huh? <laughs> oh, man. It's been... And I mean, this is when they're going to need people who are compassionate for uh, for new parents so badly because there has been so much going on when it comes to 
the rules around birthing, uh, the resources around postpartum, you know, online lactation consultants, uh, postpartum doulas completely covered in PPE. Like it's not what we're used to, or we're not used to this. What's the right word? Where you just come completely covered and disconnected, and so a lot of parents are feeling really abandoned and really disconnected. So they need us more than ever right now and in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, would you like to share with us kind of your experience with your first pregnancy and birth with your son Fox, like about three years ago now? Yeah, so I have a son, Fox. He was born in 2017. I found out I was pregnant after like one try. We had no fertility issues. It was a true blessing and and really mind-blowing. And so I was already enrolled in my yoga. I was really healthy. I was eating phenomenally. I was ridiculously active. And so it went really well. It happened perfectly. I didn't have morning sickness. Like I am the person that most people are roll their eyes to. Like everything was good in pregnancy. And so we went to 40 weeks and that's when, I mean, I already had a bit of a awkward relationship with my obstetrician just because I, when you're, when you're new, when you're newly pregnant, it's such a new language you learn and it really is only fluent in whatever you want back. So at the point I hadn't been fluent in what I needed to know, didn't even consider a mom's group online. I just asked people I knew who had babies what they thought of their obstetricians and I got referred to the one that I'm with, that I was with and him and I did not get along. I was a little bit too much, um, I just asked a lot of questions. I really wanted to be empowered. I really wanted to have a say and I don't think the obstetrician was comfortable, I don't know. People love him. He's got great beds, or he's got great like comedy to him. But for me, he didn't work, and so he he always pushed back for me. I would ask him a question, and there was a lot of pushback. Why can't you know? Why can't I go over forty weeks when I get there? Oh, because the amniotic fluid begins to decrease, and the placenta begins to calcify and it was confusing because I just couldn't understand why we couldn't go with things when it happened and go what it I don't know what it what was happening in the moment and so by the time 40 weeks came by I had already thought about changing obstetricians I had no idea what I was doing so it never ended up happening I would go to my doula crying, I was really overwhelmed, I was really confused. That was the only complaint I had really in my in my pregnancy. And then when 40 weeks and four days came, I went to my appointment and he said, I'm inducing you on Tuesday. And there was no, you know, bantering of opinions and how do you feel? And, you know, statistically we like to, it was just, I'm doing it on Tuesday. So I declined and he wrote then the notes, um, patient declined. And I told him what I really wanted to do was do some non-stress tests and just watch 
my baby closely and see how things are going before we induce, just knowing some of the statistics of the point of inducing and why to induce and when to induce and how to induce. And I just didn't feel like we met the criteria because we were 40 weeks, five days. Like it just didn't feel like a, like a reason. And so he was not happy with me when I said that, but he agreed. It was funny. The one thing that he said that sticks with me still is I was like, why don't we go until, so he wants to introduce me on a Tuesday. So let's just go to a Thursday. It's only a couple more days, but it gets me almost at 42 weeks. And it gives me my body more time. And he said, um, you don't want to birth on a weekend. You don't even want to see the type of people that come in. And looking back, I don't know why I let that bug me because I let that kind of persuade me because the emergency and the birthing areas are so different. And so, yeah, so he swept me without consent. I remember being really uncomfortable and he's like, oh, I'm just, I'm just sweeping you. And I called my doula freaking out, asking her everything and anything we could do to induce me. So I didn't have to be induced on Tuesday. Uh, this week did take, but I don't think that my son was ready to come. And so I started to dilate. I never made it past five centimeters. Uh, he agreed to meet me on the Saturday, the next day. So that was a Friday on the Saturday at the hospital for non-stress test. And we couldn't even make it through. I was in so much pain um, in labor. And the non-stress test came fine, but he, uh, they asked if I wanted to leave or stay. And I said, I'm staying because I'm not sure why I'm so uncomfortable. And I didn't imagine birth be so painful. And so I wanted to stay. And it turned out that I was in complete discomfort just because of where my baby was in, in my uterus. And um, I did a lot of back labor. And so hours later, I was still only five centimeters dilated and another doctor obstetrician came in my obstetrician had gone home for the day and she said we can either break your waters or you can go home and i decided to go home which looking back i don't think was the right answer anyways but i think because i never went home but i just i wish that they would have handled it differently and said something else which i already know what i wish they would have said and like when somebody is getting um, CPR or first aid, you always watch for them to leave the room. They just want to leave the room. And I think that's what I was trying to do. I think I was just trying to leave the room. I was sick of the nurses on my body. I was um, sick of fighting with people. I wasn't comfortable. And so I called their bluff. I said, I'm going home. And they didn't want me to go home. So they took back what they said and they were like, well, we want to, you want to check his heart rate one more time before you leave. And it wasn't like his heart rate wasn't doing really, really well, but nobody had explained that to me. So I was still trying to leave because they were trying to, uh, they just didn't trust me with the information to make an educated decision, I guess. I don't know. I don't know why they didn't tell me, but they didn't. So finally they did tell me, they told me they didn't want me to leave because they were worried. They wanted to check my dilation one more time. They checked the dilation of my waters broke and that put me into an emergency cesarean. And so yeah, that's how Fox's story went.
I'm really sorry. Yeah, and I mean, I was under general or anesthesia. Anesthesia? I can never remember. I was under. I was under for his birth, and so it was. It was incredibly traumatic, and so it opened a new world for me postpartum with him because I had been so traumatized from his birth, where I had been sold by the. Um, birth supports whether it be like it was everyone really who you know that we knew that things could happen but nobody really gets you ready for the scary part and then I think we think we're doing a service by telling parents to read the happy stories and and that's what you want like it's very much the secret it's very much um, creating your your future but I think there's a, a really important reason for both the holistic, um, spontaneous, vaginal deliveries. And then I think there is a point to your obstre obstre uh, obstetricians and your medical support. And I wish that we didn't hide one because the other one wasn't, wasn't foo-foo enough. And so I didn't see it coming. I didn't know it was going to impact me so much. I didn't, I still remember how it felt to have my waters broken. And how it felt like my heart was just crashing. And then they were just go, go, go. Like the anesthesiologist came in. I was put onto a bed. I was put into the into the um, operating room. And then I was out. And so I didn't wake up for an hour. And by then, I mean, I'd lost that golden hour. So it was, and, then, and so I had a lot of... Um, a lot of regret and a lot of shame and so that really went with me for a really long time and then my breastfeeding journey with Fox did not go well and so it really taught me a lot about um, what it looks like I guess from if I look back at it now it's not about like how to get better or what to do different it was about what it looks like and how it feels I feel like now in my process I've started to learn about like how to do it differently but I needed that really um, dark place to be able to reflect on it so it was very calm before the storm I mean I don't want to be ashamed or afraid of his birth story anymore which I was for many years but yeah it was tough mm -hmm. yeah I can I can relate I prepped for a home birth ended up in emergency c-section we were separated for like hours he was in NICU for 10 days so oh, obviously wow. nothing went according to plan or anything like that and that really forced me to think about what you were just talking about like reading like positive birth story and everything and but also like knowing what can happen like I'm still conflicted as like I'm doing my childbirth educator training to That's see um, like how to kind of merge the two right like you want yeah. to uh, expose them to quality birth but you also want to prepare them for the worst in a way right and I call it's it like the insurance plan now so when I'm talking to I've created like once I get through Hazel's story um, I've started to realize like what about Fox's story really meant a lot to me and I realized a big part of it was that we sell fluff and that's good I mean I am so thankful for all my friends who have had gorgeous stories I mean I've been witness to many of their tales and it's just it's it's exactly it's liberating it's what they need and I'm so happy for them and for a long time I held on to the like why me and I think it's I call it the insurance plan because it's we don't get our licenses 
when we're 14, 16 or whatever age you decide to go after that. And they don't just like ask if you can drive a car and then hand it to you. And so your childbirth educator, you can go and do the, um, the prep classes, but still you don't really learn until you're kind of there. And so I think it's really important to talk about the sucky stuff, but I think it's more to talk about as an insurance plan. So the hope is that you're not going to need a cesarean, but in the event that a cesarean was to happen, this is how you can be empowered and still have a voice. You, we don't want forceps. This is the reason that they use a forceps, not through the cascade of intervention. We're not talking about epidurals being a part of a cascade of a negative long-term effect. There are positives behind um, epidurals. There are reasons, there's good reasons for epidurals. But we're so scared to talk about them in the childbirth education courses and all the other courses that people become, they just attach themselves. And so that would be like driving around, assuming you're always going to get into a car accident. Nobody wants you in a car accident. But if you got into a car accident, we want you to have coverage. We want you to be able to cover if you hurt somebody else. We want you to be, you know, safe and be able to afford everything. And so that's kind of how I've started to attach myself to these negative ideas is that they're not this is just the insurance fund this is the stuff you should know so if you're in an accident you know how to handle yourself so that you're not at fault and you can be witnessed through the trauma versus um attached to a trauma right so i took a i've also taken a course to be a trauma doula with jennifer summerfeld and that's mm -hmm. a big thing that we talk about is learning to go through the trauma and witness the trauma and be a part of the storytelling versus hurting because of the story. And I mean, you have to do that in order to get through it. But so that's kind of how I've started to explain it. Is it to me, it's much more of an insurance plan to learn those those dark stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally totally relate and agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, how was uh, this pregnancy and birth with Hazel different? this time around so with hazel uh it was harder to get pregnant there was um a, like i did have a little bit more fertility um i don't know what the right word would be i mean again i've witnessed so many friends and storytellers really grieve through fertility concerns and i and so we had a little bit of that and it took a little longer to get pregnant uh and when we did everything Luckily, it was kind of the same when it came to the pains. I was more exhausted because it was my second child. So I was running around with a toddler at the same time being pregnant. Um, I had just healed from a work-related injury where I was just under a lot of stress. And um, as soon as I left the job, that's when I got better. So that And that's when I got pregnant. So that really helped and really spoke to me about why it's so important to learn to uh, detach yourself from anything too stressful. So I got pregnant, uh, but it was still good. It was still healthy. And I got a midwife and I love, I could not speak more highly of my midwife through Hope Midwives. Um, and it was, and that's where it all started. So when I went in to work with my midwife, I told her about my traumas and she'd already read my birth like this, the medical side of my birth. And so she kind of already knew what was coming in when she saw that I was under for my birth and that uh, my son had a prolapse and 
So I got to really tell her my story. And I think that was really healing when it came to putting it on the table, what I was still hoping for this birth. We had planned, we'd gone back and forth from home birth to hospital birth, knowing it was a vaginal birth after cesarean. And um, we knew the benefits and the risks. So we kind of, I asked to not have to decide right away. And so, yeah, I mean, being with a midwife was very therapeutic. When something, when I went in for um, any of my medical procedures, my blood tests, my ultrasounds, all of that, I would hear the information back within 24 hours. Uh, Heidi would let me know. And so I felt really involved in my own pregnancy. I didn't feel like it was like a doctor's case. She always had something to tell me. Uh, I had no, I had full privilege, no shame in messaging her if I was concerned about anything or if something didn't feel comfortable. And from there, I can hear my three-year-old and my husband. I think my three-year-old's coming downstairs. So I don't even remember where I left off at this point. But this is reality, is trying to do two from one. Um, yeah, so I always had lots of support and lots of feedback, and I had a lot of permission. And I know not every midwife is like this. So that's like a disclaimer I want to put out is having an obstetrician doesn't make your birth, doesn't mean your birth is going to go negative And having a midwife doesn't mean your birth is going to go positive. It's about how each of them listen and support. And so my midwife listened and supported me through all of it. And so we got to the end and I got approved for a VBAC by an obstetrician because that's generally how VBACs work. Um, Hazel was upside, she was, she was breached and she had too much amniotic fluid and so there were some precautions around my VBAC but within a couple weeks it all situated itself. She was head down again back into the uh, optimal birthing position and Fluids were good, and so we decided to go with the uh, non-stress tests. And so I remember when I was with my obstetrician, that was the one thing I said. Is I said, I'm not sure I'm ready for an induction because I just believe that it's worth giving your body the best amount of time that you can to do, it, do its own uh, spontaneous laboring. And then, of course, if it doesn't spontaneously labor then it's time to ask for support. And we hadn't even asked or given it a chance. And so that is what my midwife did, is she gave us a chance. So we started running non-stress tests, non tests every three days. So we'd rotate between um, visual and then auditory. So we'd listen to heartbeat, and then we would go in for an ultrasound. And then everything came back really, really well, and everything always kept going really good, and I was really excited, and I was feeling heard, and I was feeling empowered, and I still didn't have to decide where I was birthing, but I had everything in plan, like in place in case I decided to do one or the other. My doula had a pool that she was going to bring to the house or the hospital, like everything was going really well. Um, and this was all in a month of uh, COVID. And so when COVID came in, that, I, that was March and I was due in May. 
And so I had just gone on to medical leave just because we were worried about uh, some of the conditions I was working under. And again, with what it had done, what my work had done to me prior to getting pregnant, we decided to be uh, as careful and cautious as possible. And then COVID came and we weren't really sure what COVID was going to look like. So I tried really hard not to attach myself to that. And I think that really helped me with some of the anxiety and the trauma, knowing that I didn't know what was going to happen and that in March it didn't matter. And so when people would ask me, I'd be like, well, I'm not delivering her right away. So I'm just not worried about it right now. And it really helped me. Uh, when it was time to deliver, it was time where we were wearing masks. And that made me really want to deliver at home. Plus, I'd been told that my doula could no longer come to the birth with me, which was devastating. Uh, so I was really leaning towards a home birth at that point, just because I wanted my doula there. And then it did get scary. So I went in for my last ultrasound. I was 41 and I think five days. So it was, um, we, so I was almost 42 weeks. And again, we just had an ultrasound. She got an 8 out of 8 out of the ultrasound. Then we did the non-stress test. She did perfect with that. But this time when we went to the ultrasound, there was a little bit more concerns in the, in the, in the, what was showing. And it scared me. So the doctor came in and told me that he had to talk, contact the midwife because they were worried that she had no more amniotic fluid left. Uh, they couldn't see any of her tone. They couldn't see her swallowing. So the only thing that she did really well with was her heart rate, heart rate. And I called my midwife and she just really held me and listened to me and validated my concerns, gave me some feedback on where we can still be optimistic. So the idea that you can't see her tone when she is in the perfect optimal birthing position, like she's all tucked in fetal position. So yeah, so, uh, they told me that she had, they couldn't see her fluids. And so we talked about what that looks like, uh, my midwife and I, and really it was that when you're looking at the baby, like in utero from the outside and they're already head down, engaged, 42 weeks or 41 weeks, tucked in, there's a lot of things you're not going to see. And so she did like an internal, um, check and there was lots of fluids left like we, we could feel the fat and so we spoke with the obstetrician and they gave us the go ahead to I was already in labor at that point also just to note so I didn't have to be induced I had gone into labor sporadic like um, naturally on my own at uh, about 10 o'clock the night before that ultrasound I had Braxton Hicks the weeks leading up, the week leading up, but I was in um, pre-labor, so really gentle, not a lot of, um, not too soon, not too close, not too hard. And so, because we were at the hospital, we decided to commit. Well, we had to commit to the hospital now. Uh, so we did the non-stress test at the hospital, checked her heart rate; it was perfectly fine. Checked the sac; it was full of, of fluid. So we just added some Pitocin to try and speed things along a little bit just to kind of get my contractions more consistent, less um, 
just less radical. I did not like Pitocin <laughs> at all. And when I asked her to take it out, she took it out. And so, again, I just was so heard and validated the entire time. I labored, got into active labor at the hospital we were at on my own, got into my zone while I was there, but I could not get past the last inch. So it was nine centimeters dilated. We couldn't push past it. We couldn't relax past it. And by then I'd been awake for, I don't even remember, I'd have to do this. I went into labor at 10 the night before and I barely got to sleep. I did, you know, try, but it didn't work. And now it was two in the morning the next day. So now we're at 42 weeks exactly. Uh, and it just wasn't working. And so the OB came in. We were going to do an epidural because, again, like I said, sometimes there's a reason for an epidural. And so our goal was to do the epidural, um, just get it a little less painful and make decisions based on that. And I just realized I was done. Like I just, it had been too many hours. Um, she had been trying for too long. She was in my birth canal. We checked her heart rate and she was deselling a little bit, but nothing to be concerned about. Not like when Fox was deselling, like when Fox deselled, it was a huge deal. And that's why we got, like the second my water broke, the decel was bad. But with her, we still had a little bit of give. Uh, the water set only just broke maybe four hours prior to that. So she still had lots of um, lots of energy. But again, she was deselling. And I thought about what it would look like if we waited another two hours or whatever it would have taken to get past that last center. It could have taken seconds. But we can't tell the future. And so I made the decision to have a cesarean and again it was on my terms it was really knowing that it was in her best interest knowing that everybody would have been comfortable either way just knowing that it was in what i believed was her best intuition like in, with my intuition her best interest and so i got to be awake which really meant a lot to me i had a birth plan so i gave the birth plan to the anesthesiologist and on the birth plan it talked about what would happen if i went into a cesarean and he said yeah if everything goes right um, you can have everything on this birth list and we got me in my I didn't have to have my wrists um, tied down I got to be awake I got to have my midwife and my husband in the room so it was just really positive and she still needed to go to the NICU because she had meconium and she was choking and they need to do some resuscitation, but honestly, I felt so supported. I wasn't really concerned about her well-being, just knowing that I had a good team and that everybody was taking, you know, stepping up to where they where they could shine. And my midwife told me that everything would have been okay, and she had never led me astray before, so I believed her. And again, I lost that hour, so there was some grief that I had to go through with her birth when I did lose my VBAC. Um, just that attachment and that imaginary story I had made about how amazing it would be to have a VBAC during, you know, the pandemic after this traumatic cesarean. I just wrote this imaginary beautiful story and the insurance plan was there and I didn't get it. And so I had to grieve 
you know, the fact that she wasn't, that she was, she was in a trauma response. She did need support and how scary it was to not know how that was going to go. Uh, to know that I lost the V back, to know that I tried my hardest and there was only one centimeter left and I never got past it. But I've done a little bit of work over the last 12 weeks um, and, I've, and I've really gotten through the story again. And so, yeah, I feel like we're getting there. But those are kind of, that's the difference between the two of them. Is I feel like it was really about being heard, validated, um, supported. Um, and I mean, neither of the stories turned out differently. It's not like I got this gorgeous water birth at home and that all of a sudden made Hazel's birth story more empowering and beautiful. They both ended up in cesarean where both of them ended up in the NICU. Uh, it was just how I was treated that really changed the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I read your story when you shared it, I think on Facebook and, uh, I find it quite interesting because mine was very traumatic the first time too. And I was like, you know, like going through a second cesarean later on doesn't have to be as bad, right? Like it can, it can be more empowering than what I've experienced the first time. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the thing is like, the other thing that's been really interesting for me is that I am on, you know, mom's groups and such. And so I'm reading and I'm listening and I'm and, and it's hard when you're a birth giver because you attach yourself to these um, sometimes not all I mean I, I have friends who were like I don't care I'm not gonna go to a birthing class I'm just gonna let the obstetrician do what they got to do I really don't care how it turns out I'm happy as long as they're alive and breathing and I am proud of that parent just as much as I am of the one that sat and meditated and created this birth story where they had a water birth under the moon and it still happened. And the ones where you thought of one and you ended up in another, like there's no bad birth story. It's just about how you move through it. And so cesareans are one of those funny things that I've really become interested in since both of mine. And that's what I was talking about. When I said once I tell Hazel's story is there's nothing wrong with wanting a, a sporadic birth in water or out vaginally like that's perfect that's a, that's a great way I mean we've been birthing babies for years and we know in an animalistic way by coming through the vaginal canal there's lots of natural and I mean the word natural as in microbiome um benefits and you know that first birthing golden hour you get them right onto your chest and we know there's benefits for breastfeeding that way and so there's these benefits that come with the vaginal delivery that are just part of i don't know human nature i guess but when it comes to a cesarean it's the same as like breast is best and um co-sleeping is best like you can't attach yourself to what could be best because children are alive and birth givers are alive because of the medical system there is a great time for a cesarean there is a great time for all those support systems when used responsibly and i think a big part of it is that if you go through the history of birth um, cesareans and obstetricians just had a really rough go because there was times when they were doing twilight births. There was a time where they were giving cesareans because 
then your vagin your va vagina was intact and your and your vulvas and it was all and so it comes with such a negative con like a negative storyline and when i think back to what my obstetrician said to me when i said well i don't want to be induced on tuesday i wanted to be i wanted to give it just a few more days and to to him it was nothing what's the difference between a tuesday and a thursday but that's a whole world worth of difference when it comes to a sporadic um, birth but him saying you don't want to do it on a weekend because goes to show why we're so narrow-minded when it comes to the medical system still because there was an agenda behind it right he didn't want we didn't want to deliver a baby on a weekend and that's just not how this works so cesareans have really really bad um, attachments to them but if a birth giver finds himself in a cesarean it's really like there's power in scarring and there's a lot of there's a lot so I, I hope that a lot of people will start to kind of feel that healing in their cesareans and vaginal I mean I've known women who've delivered vaginally and also it's like they've had VBACs and they're like man that my cesarean was a much easier recovery or whatever you still can get attachments to um, trauma no matter what your birth story looks like it's really interesting birth trauma is really interesting that way mm -hmm. yeah I find it fascinating too I want to do uh, Jennifer's training like whenever she has the next one after COVID and everything because um, I, I find it incredibly interesting and I read her book and I was like wow that helped me a lot <laughs> yeah um, so you touched a little bit on your postpartum journey with uh, Fox, but uh, would you like kind of recap it a little bit and how this time around has like shifted uh, with Hazel, basically? Well, it's a lot more lonely. I'll admit to that. Just with COVID, um, I miss like with Fox. I went to uh, the community parent I don't the mom's group through the health clinics is basically what it is and so I met some other moms I got to be face to face with them um, when I was concerned about anything I could go out uh, my I did not have a firstborn a toddler who writes a lot of the way that my days go so I think postpartum it's so different because with him, I had so much pain and suffering and uh, a little bit of self-inflicted wound. Plus, there was some stuff that was um, not. So my my breastfeeding with him was really, really hard. And so it's so weird how I could be in two really negative places, COVID, and then what I'm going through now, but or with him then. But the difference is, again... I came up with kind of a plan, an insurance plan, knowing that my breastfeeding journey could go um, awry again. And so it's been better and I felt more heard and validated again. I was just going to write an Instagram post on this and I haven't posted it, but I was, I was reflecting on the difference between my six week postpartum with an obstetrician and a six week postpartum with midwife. And so with my midwife, my midwifery team, they came and saw us at one week. So I didn't have to do the healthy beginnings nurse. Uh, my midwife came and took out my staples 
And then she sat on the bed and looked at me and was like, how are you? And just engaged and had active listening and um, just really saw me. And I just bawled my eyes out. I remember saying that it felt like I just didn't get onto a club, the VBAC club, where, you know, everybody puts this VBAC on such a pedestal of how beautiful the VBAC is and you need the VBAC if that's your if that's your goal and I didn't I didn't get into the club and then breastfeeding was still hard because it was only the first week and again I didn't get into the breastfeeding club and I remember just crying and it was I was really held and then a week later was Hazel's two-week checkup for her weight and again like she did what she had to do she did all the medical necessities and then she just sat with me and was just how are you doing like what do you need and it was so amazing to feel heard and cared for and mothered right who mothers the mother and so I felt very mothered especially since with COVID I just couldn't have a lot of people over um, my parents still hadn't met Hazel it was just it was so lonely and so to have someone come in and I'd heard recently not recently now but back then that a lot of birth givers weren't getting their six-week checkup they were being postponed or their obstetricians were just doing it on the phone or their obstetricians were not doing it at all because of COVID and while I understand that a that a pandemic and a virus is so serious it, mental health of a, of a birth giver is just as just as serious and just as important and so I was thankful that she came to me and wore the proper PPE and took care of me uh, six weeks later for my checkup unfortunately something um, unfortunate happened to my midwife's family and she needed some time so one of her support midwives came one of her the one like her team and again like it didn't matter that she wasn't my midwife through birth she was there at my birth as the assistant midwife but again it did not feel deflective so when I went to Fox's six-week checkup I had um, my OB worked with a team and I had one of his teammates check me and I said to her can I go back to everything I did before I was pregnant she's like oh yeah and I was like, you don't even know what I did which physical activity wise was quite like I could have put a lot of a lot of pain on my pelvic floor had I gone back to what I was doing previously when it came to heavy lifting and um, all that stuff where my midwife really this midwife really wanted to have a conversation on what I was hoping to do and what that would look like and how I could take care of myself she uh, yeah and then we did so that was the sixth week to go back maybe no maybe that wasn't the six week maybe the six week no six week I went to her that was the two that was the two week when we took out my sorry it was the two week where I saw the support who took out my no it wasn't I'm sorry it's all a haze <laughs> somewhere in there <laughs> I, I saw the support midwife in this gray postpartum haze and she was just as amazing and she came to my house and then for the last checkup I had with Hazel, I went to my midwife's house because then I could drive because of my cesarean. And again, it was like mourning a friendship that was about to end. Like she just, when I went to her house, she weighed Hazel. Uh, we talked. 
she asked about my mental health, she asked about my plans, and then, yeah, I left, and it was actually really sad, because I just had made this amazing um, provider over nine months that I wasn't going to be able to use again, so, yeah, sorry, I got confused in my, trying to remember why I saw her four times in six weeks, but that goes to show another big difference when it comes to the midwives, is I saw them four times in six weeks. So, mm-hmm. postpartum wise, yes. it's been easier that way, where I feel more heard and seen. I just haven't been able to. I, I'm also quite lonely, but I, I'm looking for ways around that. And uh, the online presence is really supportive. We have a really great online community in our postpartum mm-hmm. world. Yeah, I agree. I'm really glad um, I was in Edmonton, like when I had this pregnancy, my husband's in the military, and we're moving around quite a bit. And like, this is a really good city to have like babies, there's so much like support and so many different things you can do, like pelvic health physio, and like, maternal health therapist, like all that stuff. Like, there's just so many things like we were in New Brunswick before, like in a very small town, so there was nothing. So I'm really glad Mm -hmm. it happened here. Yeah, yeah, and like, amazing postpartum scene. And I mean, there's still so much growth happening and there's still people that I'm meeting that I've never met before that I didn't realize that we have that are amazing or even things that they're growing their own companies and their own practices in. So, yeah, it's been a great way to and none of this existed when I had Fox. Like I did, I saw four lactation consultants with Fox. One was part of the health, like the, the hospital um one was a part of my birth post my birth pillow collective that i had used and then one was a really neat system that we have here in edmonton um and since then it's like tripled in size of support mm-hmm. yeah and like to go back a little bit when you were talking about the VBAC club um that's something i've had to mourn myself uh just already because uh, of like the circumstances that led to the c-section and like birth injuries that happened during the c-section like i'm not even a candidate so i've already had to like scratch that plan basically well and that's the thing is it's like i feel it's almost anti i don't know i try to say it's almost anti-feminist to tell any birth giver that they can't um celebrate whatever their birth is going to look like that they need to have a v-back or whatever and I mean, I did want to have a Viva. I do, I still think, I told my husband I would totally have another baby if I didn't know it was going to end up a cesarean. And it's not to disguard cesareans. There's just a lot of um, healing physically because uh, it's a major surgery. But at the same time, when it comes to that feminist empowerment that I'm talking about, like, I mean, there are some there's some great research and some great support people out there where having a cesarean can be a very empowering, very beautiful birth. I mean, there's also some things that um, look prettier on Instagram than they would happen in Edmonton, where, so like one is the see-through drapes. Edmonton isn't there yet. The midwives and the doulas and everyone are really rallying behind it, asking our obstetricians to consider them. But that's not really on the agenda right now with everything else going on. But, I mean, it was really great to – I went to a really great VBAC uh, and cesarean birth class, 
and those were where she told us some of the things that you don't even realize you can ask for. And so on my birth plan, I wrote if I ended up in a cesarean, this is what I'm hoping for. And if I ended up in a cesarean where I was under, again, this is what I would like it to look like. And so obviously you can't have what you want all the time. And that's the other thing. Like when I went into Fox's obstetrician office and I said, oh, I have my, my birth plan. He laughed at me and said, well, your birth plan should be not to have a birth plan. And that was kind of one of the first times, I think, one of the many times I realized that maybe him and I weren't meshing very well, because I understand in the obstetrician world that birth plans do come across as a dream meeting, right? Like you're just assuming, sorry, she's making sounds, give me a second, um, that if you don't know what's happening, you could set yourself up for sadness when you're your birth goes differently but I think if obstetricians worked with us and everybody worked together we could realize how cesareans can be really beautiful just mm -hmm. painful and, and hard but they are very they can be very beautiful when you get when you are heard and supported yeah definitely um moving on to like slightly easier questions no, uh, what's your favorite uh thing about being a mama what's my favorite thing about being a mom um yes. there's so many things just because i've spent so many years waiting for this just having worked with other kids and so i always got to send them home so i don't have to send them home anymore so it's been really amazing to you know wake up to my family and just know that I am molding and supporting these little tiny humans to become the greatest potential that they have and I get to be a part of that every day has been really amazing. I mean, every time my son says I love you, the first time he said I love you, uh, the first time my daughter smiled at me, like all those firsts where you're a big part of it, it's so amazing to have that that visual and auditory and kinesthetic feedback so i'm very very thankful for that mm. hopefully and i don't finally, mess them up <laughs> <laughs> um and finally the last question is something i asked like all the guests on the podcast um it's what is one experience that you've had that has transformed you and helped you bloom into the unique and beautiful mama that you are today the one oh my gosh i don't even know if there's one i feel like it's hard if I could say all of Fox's birth that was probably a big part of it and being in it it's very lotus flower like being in it was dirty and dark and messy and painful and a lot of times I've met a lot of birth givers who that honestly changes their life they end up not having more kids because of the trauma and I think as much as I mourn the ideas that could have been and I and I consider the things that went wrong and how it could have been differently I know that on the other side seeing what his existence has given me is that I am way stronger and way more resilient um, than I ever knew I could be and I can take that and support my children every day and in my community. So I think really his whole birth is 
uh, as a whole really changed who I was as a person. Mm-hmm. And so did Hazel's really, because she taught me how hard I can fight. Because I literally did everything in my power, and this time I was hurt. So instead of doing everything with Fox and being told no instantly by my obstetrician, this time I was always told yes. And it still ended up in the same cesarean situation. But I tried everything. I never realized how hard I could fight and how resilient I could be to, um, and how, how humbled I had to be to decide it was time for a cesarean for the better of my daughter instead of being a warrior and saying, well, I want this V back. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this V back. That moment where I got to just admit that it was time because she was ready to come out and we were tired of fighting this uphill battle and it was okay to take that into control. I don't know. Does that make sense? Is that, that's a lot of things that taught me to be a good mom, but they were really, those situations are, you can't change them, right? You can't defy them. They were, they were earth shattering. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand it's hard to find one experience because every single day you just have little bits and pieces that make you more and more unique in your mamahood journey, right? Oh, yeah. And I mean, it was so interesting. I mean, I could go on forever now that I'm like, if we were talking about like being an early learning educator, raising my own child, the things that my child has taught me, the things that I thought I would be good at that I am not good at, the things that I thought I would be above that I have definitely done. I mean... You never know till you're there, but then, you know, when he uses his manners and he isn't prompted and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I'm proud of myself and my son for being, you know, so kind in the world. I don't know how to explain it, but there's some things that my son has done where I'm like, really? I taught you that? But yeah, it's crazy. Being a mom is amazing. It is everything I could have asked for and more. not saying it's not hard not saying sometimes I still daydream about what it would look like if my if we didn't have kids and we just continued to be adults with no kids what my life would look like but I'd never give it up for a second Mm -hmm. same well thank you for uh doing this interview and for sharing your truth with us um that was amazing yeah thank you I mean Thank you for being patient with my son and all that good stuff. But yeah, it's just, there's so much happening in this world right now. And this is about to become a really, really scary place with birth, knowing that we're going very far back when it comes to traditional birthing. Um, I mean, okay, so knowing that our in Alberta, our health system is changing, knowing in the States is something that's already existent about you know, not being allowed to have your partner until you give birth and not being able to, all those types of rules. Like, this is just such a time. And I think podcasts where we can connect and reflect and support each other is really a blessing. So thank you for having me because we need each other. So this concludes our interview with Asha. I will link all her Uh, social media information and website in the show notes if you want to find her and talk with her um, I encourage you to do so she's amazing 
Make sure to come back every Monday for new Mamahood Journeys episodes, um, as well as Wednesday for my own journey with Mamahood, and Friday for guest expert episodes. See you soon! Thank you so much for listening to Blooming Mamahood. If you want to continue the conversation, head over to our Instagram at Blooming Mamahood and you can message me privately or head over to bloomingmamahood.com slash podcast and select today's episode to chat in the comment section. If you love this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcast and share it with your friends. If you would like to see more of my content, you can find me on Instagram at Blooming Mamahood or visit my website at bloomingmamahood.com for more empowering and educational content about all stages of mamahood. Until next time, let yourself bloom into the unique and beautiful mama that you are. Stay kind to each other, sending love and light.